go. Good evening, everyone. You all ready to get into this? Joshua chapter 1. 2. 1 and 2. And we have 45 minutes. <laughs> right? It's a group effort. Well, you know, it's been two weeks since we did Joshua chapter 1, and it was like my favorite chapter in a long time, so we'll review it real quick, and then we'll jump into chapter 2. And uh, I will read the section, and you will shout out what the biblical theme is, just like we did last time. Y'all ready? First, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us this evening. Um, Let us not only learn, but let us um, rejoice in these gospel truths. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. 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 (coughs) Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. What is that? Covenant, succession, and inheritance. Yes, but more specifically, the hinge upon which succession and inheritance Turn. The gospel? Yes. Jesus. <laughs> the gospel is always the answer. That's right. We have the death of Moses and we have Joshua rising up to admit to minister and to bring about all the promises that were made previously. Yes. Okay, good, good. Thank you. You got this. You said death, burial, and resurrection. This is the Jesus is Moses dying and Joshua rising up. The promise is given, and then after the resurrection, he ascends on high to take the right hand of the Father in order to bring about everything that he promised. Joshua's name is Yeshua. It's Jesus in Latin and over into English. So that's the main theme. That's the that's the hinge on which the entire Um, victory of the Christian faith turns, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Moving on, verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you by grace. It's a free promise. It's all yours, but your foot has to trod on it, just as I promised to Moses. What is that? Dominion Dominion of the land and receiving the promises. Verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward going down of the sun, that's going to be your territory. Biblical theme? Antithesis. Antithesis, that's right. Antithesis. Right? There's always a boundary. There's always a distinction. It's dark in Egypt and light in Goshen. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Verse 5, no man shall I be, no man shall be able to stand before you all the future days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. What is that? See, this is why we need to review it. It's only been two weeks, and I know some of you know all these answers. You're just letting other people have a turn. Right. <laughs> No. Hey, look out there. Do you see that land? I've given it to you. It's a promise. Go. You shall inherit it. Today? No, in the future, you shall inherit it as you go forward. 
You going is the great commission. I commission you to go, but now I'm making you a promise about how your how success is going to be. It's going to be you're being very successful. So be hopeful, be positive. I'm going to stand here all night until somebody says this is before. Yes, thank you. Did you take that? Okay. Well, you get the other people. But you said you're going to stand here all night, so I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'm glad you pull it. The other people was off limits, so no one wanted to say it. That's right. The other that is a no-no word. Positive, positive, Josh. Wow, you kept, you kept that in. That's good. That's, I haven't written down positive. <laughs> positive? No, you did good. You did good. No. no. We trust your instincts. It was good. It was the right thing to do. Positive eschatology. That's right. So important. you got to have a positive eschatology. But you can believe the promise for the present day. What good is that if you don't believe the promises for the future? you got to believe the promises for the future. And then verse 7, only, okay now, qualifications, terms and conditions, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Covenant blessings come from covenant faithfulness. That's right. Good job, Kevin. If you're not faithful to the covenant terms and conditions, that is the law of God, then you cannot expect to be blessed and to inherit. Right? Verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. So this is more of what we just talked about. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Read it, receive it, pray it, enjoy it, think on it, let it fill your brain. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Covenant blessings come from covenant faithfulness. Amen. Alright. But we're going to need some help in this journey, aren't we? And so, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why not? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What's the New Testament ultimate fulfillment of that type? The Holy Spirit being poured out. That's exactly right. That's why Jesus said, it's good for me to go so that I can send the Helper, so that I can send the Holy Spirit. And He can go with all the Christians over the entire world, wherever they set their feet. Amen. That's good news right there. This is the Gospel in type and in shadow. And it is very helpful if you can learn how to read your Bible carefully and see that. All right, so now we get into the beginning of today's class, starting in verse 10. They begin to make preparations to enter. Right? You can't take the land back for Jesus, or you can't take it, in this case, you can't take the land for Jesus the first time if you don't enter it, right? See, that was their problem the generation before, wasn't it? Remember, they wouldn't enter. Why didn't they enter? They, they, didn't have faith. They, were, they were afraid. They lacked faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's character and faith in the promises that God made them that they would take the land. They didn't believe His promises because they didn't believe that He was good and He didn't have a good character. And so they fell back in fear and God judged them. They died in the wilderness and then they went to hell because they had a negative eschatology. I'm, I'm not even joking about it. Y'all see the connection there. 
right? I'm not saying you have to have your eschatology figured out. Nobody has it all figured out. But there's a big pendulum switch when you go from negative to positive, okay? When God makes you promises about the future, you've got to believe those. You can't look at God and be a Debbie Downer, negative Nancy. You won't have the energy, you won't have the faith to be victorious. Now, there was two people that were, they were saved and they did go to heaven because they believed the promises and they were set apart from that covenantal judgment that came down in that generation. They were set apart because they independently and individually in their household repented. What was their names? Joshua and Caleb. Yeah, Joshua and Caleb. They looked out and they were like, no, guys, he promised it. Let's go. And what did they do to those preachers? They persecuted them. Well, they tried to stone them. That's right. They tried to stone them, but God didn't let them get away with it. So, but now that generation is all dead. All the negative Nancys are dead in the wilderness. They didn't believe the promises. They don't believe God. They didn't go forward in his commission. They kept having church services, but they never put their feet on anything. Okay? And so they're all dead. Now a new generation is raised up, and Joshua is the head of them, and, we, and they prepare to enter in verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people. So you've got a hierarchy, very important there. You've got... Um, Unity and organization. You got submission. You got obedience. All of those things here. You got officers and local authority and representation, etc. Verse eleven: Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Prepare your provisions. All right, get ready. We're going. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan. I like the three-day uh, reference there. Completion. <clears throat> huh? Completion. Oh yeah, you, you know we're when in three days on the morning of the third day we're we're busting out of here. We're to pass over this Jordan to go and to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Victory. Amen. Amen. Now, is this going to be a works-based salvation? Is this works-based salvation? If they don't work, will they get it? No, but do they get it by work? Sure, yeah. So you get where I'm going here. It's important to say, go take possession of the land that the Lord has given you. You see what I mean? It, this is faith that works. If you don't work, then you don't have faith. You don't have faith in the character of God. But it is founded upon faith. Faith is first. And it's if you have faith in the promises of God, that's where you have the, vin- the energy and the victory to go. And to receive the, the land that he has for you. Now this quick question here is this land, this land is a type of what? The earth. The earth. Everything. All that God has promised for us. It is, not a, it is not a type, a symbol of you having spiritual wholeness or healing. All right? Although that's a part of being saved. This is the whole kit and caboodle. Everyone understand? All right. <clears throat> So we cannot, just as an application, we cannot take back America or take it for the first time, however you want to see that. I don't really care, honestly. But it, we, need, we can't take it or take it back unless we enter it, right? Unless we go. If we believe that, it's, that society at large is doomed, there's no hope for this world, there's no hope for the future, and... We can only hope to experience revival inside the church or maybe inside of our schools and our families. Then we won't enter. We won't even ever go, right? We have to enter in every area of life and press the claims of Christ in every area of life. 
But is that what the American church is doing? No, in fact, the American church has allowed the antithesis to crumble. There's gaps in our walls. And they are coming into our territory. So now the church is filled with, with pagan Canaanite counseling and Canaanite education and Canaanite politics and Canaanite art and Canaanite calendars and Canaanite ideas filling the church. Right? So will we be victorious with this scenario? No, we have to rebuild the walls. We have to excommunicate the Esau's and the Esau ideas, right? We have to get rid of all of that stuff. And then we have to enter the land. We have to move forward. We have to put our feet on those areas. Counseling, art, literature, education, politics, ecclesiology, right? Theology, car mechanics, business, finance, politics. We have to... What does Jesus say about this field? <clears throat> These are figurative fields. These are fields of the mind, fields of the invisible world of reason, and fields of art, and then also agriculture, literal fields. What does Jesus say about this? And, and what is the church's great commission? To go into all the world, to teach the nations, to obey Jesus, to observe all that I have commanded as it pertains to worship music, praise bands, and prayer time. Is that what it says? No, all that I have commanded, all of life. And how are we going to do that if we're not modeling it? If we don't even know? What does Jesus have to say about finance? Who's going to tell the world? Who's going to tell the world? Christians got to tell the world. But what do the Christians do? They open up the, the Canaanite books on finance. Open up the Canaanite books. That's right. They believe the Bible doesn't have anything to say. <clears throat> they believe the Bible. God didn't even... Hasn't even spoken because God only is pertaining to spiritual things. Money is dirty. See, we have we have a bad problem on our hands. We have an onion that needs to be peeled back four or five, twenty layers before we're ever ready to enter. I'm afraid we're on the verge of getting left in the wilderness, honestly. If we're not already. Um, moving on to verse 12. They're getting ready to enter it. And as we read verse 12 and 13, I want you to ask the question, upon what basis should we enter? Should we go into these various fields? <clears throat> and to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying. This is the word he commanded you, saying. The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Isn't that a weird way to put it, though? Yeah. <laughs> the word, let's remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord is going to give you this place of rest and will give you this land. It's not, it's not even really a command, is it? Right? It's not even a command. It's more of a, it's a promise, isn't it? It's a promise that comes at you like a command. Isn't that interesting? doggone. <laughs> I will rest. give you rest. I will give you this land. And that's a command. It's kind of true though, you know, is believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that a command? Yes. Yes, but it's also a gospel declaration, right? Isn't that interesting how it works? But what if we ask the question, what is the basis of their success? When they take one step forward, what will be the basis upon which they will take that foot that step forward? The promises. 
The promise. The rest of promise. This is so very important. The promise of rest. Everything you believe, you have to, it has to be on a promise. Mm. Yeah. Do you believe that God wants to bless you financially? Yes. yes. Why? Don't use the Bible. Why? He's a Come on, you you, you, grew, you grew up in the church. Y'all know how to do this. Make a reasonable deduction in your mind about why God would want to do that. Because That's how we do it, right? Because we go to what makes sense to us. What, because, because he loves us. Because he wants to spread the gospel, right? You know, he, he loves us. Yeah, but I mean, he does love us, but maybe... I don't know if money would be good for you. You know, money's the root of all evil. No, the love of money. Oh, the love of money. All right. Because does, does he want? Is he? Does he love your kids? Does he love your family? His kids. They're his kids. Why do you say that? Are you saying that's a promise in the Bible? You're saying that's in the Bible? We weren't supposed to use the Bible. Oh, yeah. You can't use the Bible. Right? Does he love America? Does he want America? Does he have good? God bless America. I can't even sing that seriously. You can't pray for God to bless someone that's living in open-handed rebellion against them. You're praying against the will of God. But I know that because the Bible. You understand what I mean? We everything you believe, you it better be on a Bible verse. It better be on the Bible, or you you are you are being rationalistic, right? You are following a different religion. It's the religion of rationalism, which is a species of humanism, right? You have to believe in what the Bible says. So when they take their step foot forward, it's they're standing on the promises of Christ, their Savior, right? Some of y'all know that song, right? You've got to stand on those promises. You've got to know the promises. You've got to know that, you've got to know that the promises... He said they used to sing that song sitting down. (laughs) (laughs) Heaven, man. You take that on the road. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta stand on the promises. You can't sit on the promises. (laughs) But this, I think this is such an important thing. To understand is is the is, are the Christians ever going to take America for Jesus by politics? No, well, depends. Only if we engage in politics through faith in the promises, which is not what we're doing. We actually don't believe there are promises as it pertains to politics. Right now, what what promises are we referring to here? Do the promises that go for these Old Testament people that lived over 3,000 years ago, are these promises for us? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. We've got to get this straight. We've got to get, there is a there is an unbiblical worldview in the Christian church that divides the Bible up into these are the Jew portions and these are the Gentile portions. And that has been, that has killed us. We, we don't know that these promises are for us. These are all the Jew promises. It's killed the church. It's killed America, honestly. Got to get these promises back so that we can stand on them and then we can engage. We can't enter the land without the promises, right? So, and this is exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham, what book is this? Romans, where Paul explains the gospel in the New Testament to the Gentile Romans. 
For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world. What is the promise to Abraham? That he would have his sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus on the cross, period. No. Now that's necessary, right? What good is inherit the world and go to hell, right? <laughs> For your sins. The, you ha- there has to be a death. There has to be an atonement. There has to be blood on the doorposts. But that's not the end of the story. Blood on the doorposts, okay, we don't die from the wrath of God. But is all being a Christian is being, being saved from the wrath of God? No, it's about becoming a child and heir of God. Him giving you the land. You come out of Egypt saved under the blood, but then you take the land. We've got to be Christ-centered, not cross-centered. We've got to be dominion-centered, not atonement-only centered. That's another big problem. We, gotta, we have to be able to go out there because the promise to Abraham and to his offspring is that he would be heir of the world. Mm-hmm. Now, are you Abraham's offspring? Yes. Yes. If you are Christ, Paul says, then you are Abraham's offspring. Mm-hmm. If you have Christ, you have Abraham, and you are an heir of all of Abraham's promises. These I'm quoting Bible verses from the book of Romans. It's so very, very clear. And such amazing good news. Let me keep reading it. Romans 4.13. The promise, the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that's us, if you believe in Jesus, that he would be heir of the world. That promise did not come through the law. Right? But through the righteousness of faith. See, it's very important. You don't receive or inherit. Is that a phone or is that outside? All right. You don't inherit the land by law, by politics, by rules. You inherit it by faith. You can, you can load your children up with laws, and you can maintain them hard. If you don't have faith in the promises of God for your children, forget about it. I've been spanking them. I know what the law says. I have to spank these kids. And I'm spanking them, and it's not working. Yeah, but what exactly are you doing? There's no victory without faith. You know? Faith is the victory which overcomes the world. Not careful obedience to the law. Although faith carefully obeys the law. So you could have someone who is a very diligent butt spanker. And you can have someone else who is a very diligent butt spanker. And one of them could be obeying Jesus in faith and receiving the blessings and the promises and the other one not. And the difference is faith. Because faith is the victory which overcomes the world. Right? It's, it is, you, don't, you, don't, you don't get godly seed through law. It's through faith which obeys the law. That's different. Although sometimes it looks the same, at least for a little while. Okay? The same thing with our country. We don't, we don't have a country that is blessed by God if we have all the right laws and, and political pressure and, and, and uh, put the criminals, lock up the criminals. There's no salvation through law. The nation has to believe in the promises. Only through faith can, can we inherit anything from Jesus. You want to fix your family? Don't start with law. Start with promises. And then standing on those promises, obey the law. 
You see the difference? It's so very, very important. And that's why I feel sorry for people that don't know the promises. And especially sorry for people that know them and don't believe them. Because now they don't have anything to work with. They're, just, they're going off of what makes sense to them or their rationale or, or secular promises, which are no promises at all. <laughs> for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. And you have some reason to boast, right? Oh, our kids are good. They, they trust Jesus. You know why? Because we kept all the laws. We spanked them. <laughs> Only if it's by faith. And, it's, and because it's through faith, it's all of grace. And therefore, we have no reason to boast for any blessing that we do receive. A good nation, a good family, a good church, a good neighborhood, a good emotional wholeness. None of that comes through law, but through faith, which obeys the law, standing on the promises. Make sense? That's so important. That's so very important. 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. This is the victory that overcomes all the tentacles of the world in your life. It's your faith. Amen? And what chapter in the Bible, in the New Testament, illustrates this um, with a, tons and tons of saints? Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. Very good. All right? So, here we go. If, if we conquer by faith, and if anyone's tired, y'all can, you can stand in the back of the room or anything like that. I know, you know, if anyone's sleepy, not mentioning anyone. If we conquer by faith, if we conquer by faith, why does God constantly say that we will succeed if we obey the law? Let me read it for you. Did y'all read all that? Do not turn from the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. How do we explain that? Right? Anybody? Uh, Be careful to do according to all that is written in it, in the law, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. See what I mean? That's interesting. How do you do it? Because faith in God obeys the law. It's very simple, right? If the doctor gives you the prescription and says, you will be cured if you take this prescription. If you believe the doctor, you take the prescription. If you do not believe the doctor, you do not take the prescription and you do not get healed. Make sense? So all faith in the promises of God obeys the law of God. And it makes sense if you believe in the character of God that you're going to trust his way over your way. Right? That makes sense. Right? So you say, but yeah, but legalists obey. Are they blessed? Legalists don't obey. They give a good appearance of obeying, but I know some legalists, they don't obey. It's very close, but it's not exact. First of all, they don't have faith in promises. Right? But also, they don't obey the actual laws. They obey traditions of men. They obey church rules. Now, they'll get some things right because, no, you know, any, a broken clock's right half the time or at least two times a day. It keeps them out of jail. Yeah, they don't want to go to jail. And they want to look good and, and, you know. But I promise you, you keep watching them. They don't have faith. They will, they will stand so strong, violently strong, passionately strong on made-up rules. 
on the traditions of men. That's a legalism. And that legalism does not receive the blessings, does not receive the promises. It's not how we conquer. Amen? All right, how much time we got? 17 minutes. Oh, we're doing good. So do you want to see victory in your family or your church or your nation? First of all, believe all the promises regarding that. So you're going to need to know your Bible. And when the Bible gives you a promise, you need to take that promise and you need to believe it. And you need to not question it. Right? And you need to not let it pass through one ear and out the other ear. And if you don't understand how that promise harmonizes with your theology or with other verses, you need to pray and ask for help, that God would help you to believe those promises. You have to believe the promises, then you stand on those promises, and you obey Him in everything that He commands regarding whatever sphere you're in. Right? Your business, your church, your nation, your family, your own individual well-being, etc. Amen? And how will we be blessed? Does the Bible list the blessings? It lists the promises, it lists the laws, does it list the blessings? Yes, they're all over the Bible. But if you want some good homework, Deuteronomy 28. That's a great chapter where it just unfolds all the blessings um, for those who would stand on the promises and believe His commandments. Right? You say, but Pastor Brandon, I believe in this primary promise that He will save me from my sins through the cross and that, so that when I die, I go to heaven. That's good, right? I'm glad we got that. Right? <laughs> but could someone look up Romans chapter 4, verse 13? Well, I already did that one, right? The promise to Abraham and to his offspring is that he'd be heir of the world. Right? And then he goes on in a few verses, 4.22. Do you have it? 4.22. Yeah, I got it. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Y'all know the significance of that verse? Paul is saying Abraham was saved by grace through faith in the promise. What was the promise that Abraham believed? That his sins would be forgiven? That's part of it. But the big picture is that he and all his offspring would inherit the world. That's the full gospel. And that's what he believed. It's important for you to believe that too. Right? Of course, you're not going to step foot on the new heavens and new earth if your sins aren't atoned for. But salvation is, is more than just you and your private life. Salvation is of the universe. The reconciliation of all things to Jesus. And we are just one little part of a massive whole. Hope you understand that. That's very important. Moving on, verse 16. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. They're faithful. Covenant faithfulness. This is a revived generation. They're going strong. Now, is everything going to go perfect for them? No, they're going to, there's going to be some embarrassments and some defeats. And are they going to successfully pass this faith down to the next generation? Maybe for a few. But as, if, as you get to the book of Judges, you see that it starts to, to falter. Because Joshua is not Jesus. Right? But... You at least see the type there. So let's get into Joshua chapter 2, the story of Rahab. Y'all are familiar with this story for the most part. So who's who's Rahab or what was Rahab like? Throw out some stuff here. She was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. That's right. That's her claim to fame. Other than being being in the lineage of Jesus, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> she ran an inn. She's a hard worker. Which might have been somewhat the same thing back then. Very hard worker. <laughs> uh, she merchandised in sexual exploits. She was a bad, bad person. Her, her whole family, her whole household was engaged in this business. Uh, her, her father and her brothers and commentators speculate that there was incest and that there was quite a bit of sex trafficking going did, on. Did she have and, the law? I'm sorry, what? Did she have the law? The law. Of Moses? Yes. Mm, I don't know, but she had the gospel. <laughs> she had to have the law. We all have the law yes. in some sense. But um, she uh, took no children with her when she went into um, the promised land with the Israelites. So she probably had several abortions. And we know the Amorite culture was filled with abortions. They had chemical abortions and physical abortions, and they sacrificed their babies in fires. Uh, they were heavily engaged in sex slavery, in genocide, in uh, witchcraft, and sorcery. Um, the Amorite culture was... Um, what had been so, it had been so bad that God mentioned how bad they were in Genesis 15, which was 400 years before this. And he said, um, I'm not going to wipe them out yet. Their wickedness has not yet reached the full. So this was, and you can read some Canaanite literature, but these were incredibly wicked people. You can't read a lot of Canaanite literature because God um, ordered all of their libraries to be burned down. It's one of the reasons why Jericho was burned down and not every city was burned down. Jericho had a library and God is a book burner. Um, he doesn't want your kids going to those schools and reading those textbooks. So he burns them. Um, that was a joke, but it's true. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, her whole family was in on the trade. Um, they lived in a home in the wall, so probably you know upper class prostitution, sex trading. But that wasn't her only business. She had piles and piles of flaxseed, um, which is what you use to make linen, and she had the red linen cord. So a lot of commentators speculate that she was a businesswoman as well, very well-rounded. And of course, this uh, perhaps trafficked herself, um, perhaps a sex slave herself, but became someone who enslaved other people sexually. Um, abortions, all sorts of sexual debauchery is an ancestor of Jesus. Isn't that something? That's a, a, what one, one pastor called a trophy of grace. Isn't that something? God, God has hope for people like this, and so so should we. Amen? Amen. And we and we should never talk down to them because we're intrinsically no different, and we should do everything we can to reach out to, to people like this. And she um, she completely sold out for Jesus, and she completely left everything behind, full break, absolute um, renunciation of her past, and she joined the people of God and married uh, Salmon who was the grandfather of Jesse, the father of David? Or father, grandfather of Boaz, Jesse? Father of Boaz. Yeah. Father of Boaz. Then Obed, then Jesse, then David. So, Wait, say that again? <laughs> <laughs> she married Salmon, who was the father of Obed. Father of Boaz. Father, this is not going to go well on the recording, but father of, uh, you get it, you get it. Look up the genealogy, it's in Matthew 1, in Luke 1. But I think this is the this is the way of salvation for people for people in this industry in this uh, 
deep, um, debauched lifestyle, total renunciation. I think she's a perfect example of how we should help people like that and what is required of them to follow Jesus. Um, the revoice movement is not the answer. And I know there's probably like three of you that know what that means. But the revoice movement basically teaches that you become a Christian, but you maintain your past identities. Like I'm now a gay Christian or I am a, a uh, you know, a, they would never say this, but I, I'm a pedophile Christian or I'm a traumatized Christian or I'm a, you know, this. I, you hold on to that, that sinful identity as just a part of who you are. And I, I don't believe that is Christian at all. I believe the Rahab story is a better example. Total renunciation. And she would, I'll just jump to the end. She, before she had to marry Salmon, if you understand Old Testament law, she had to go through a massive ritual cleansing. Shaved her head, got rid of and burned all of her clothing, cut her fingernails. They went through a full renunciation ritual. Uh, and mourned her family, anyone that stayed back in Jericho. It, it looks like her whole household was saved. That's how God does it. But uh, if there was any that were left in Jericho, that's how God does it. But if there, were any, <laughs> if there was any that, got, that left in Jericho, she had to mourn them for one month. And then she married, married Salmon. Uh, total renunciation. Uh, we don't do that in the American church, unfortunately. But in other churches in the, in the, around the world, when you come out of paganism or you come out of a life like this, they will have rituals where the people will renounce Satan and renounce all their past evil deeds and confess it before the people as a part of their credible profession before they're baptized. Isn't that something? So that's the, that's the begin and middle and end of Rahab. She is a trophy of grace. Someone uh, saved, as uh, one preacher used to say, from the guttermost. And, um, and we, we have to always remember this. We have to always remember this. Amen? We have to always remember this. Um, so let's jump in. Verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. They stayed together in the same room. They're Christians. <coughs> um, and it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Does she, Rahab, obey the civil authorities? She does not. She does not. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came, where they were from. Lie. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. Lie. I do not know where the men went. Lie. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Deception. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So she founded the underground church in Jericho. And she smuggled the Christians. And she resisted the tyrant, which is a Christian duty. And if you don't do it, you're sinning. Right? And she did so by lying. And it is good to lie in some circumstances. Right? There is no commandment, thou shalt not lie. What is the commandment? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Right? That's a big difference. Meaning you shall not tell a lie that gets someone murdered. 
But what if someone else wants to murder them? Lie, 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 lie. <laughs> I identify as a lie. It's the same thing. The, the, command, the command is not to ever kill. God kills, right? The command, and by the way, God deceives the devil. That's one of the big left hooks of the gospel, right? God does not bear false witness, though, right? God does not murder. God executes, right? It is okay to kill in some circumstances. We need to be reformed, smart-thinking Christians that can reason and know our Bible sharply. And this is, a, this is, the, this is like a, a litmus test how you can tell if someone's a fundamentalist or a reformed Christian. Because fundamentalists stomp their feet. Never lie. I will never lie. I will turn over all the Christians. No. That is, that is I'm, I'm not mocking the people. I'm mocking the idea. But the idea is mockable. And it's terrible. It's terrible. No, we do not have to tell the truth the, to tyrants. When the burglar comes in your home and robs your, takes your wallet and your car keys, and then he's like, you have a safe? Yeah, I don't have a safe. <laughs> what is the combination? I must tell you. All right, verse 8. Verse 8. I'm sorry, we're just joking around a little bit. But yeah, she, she is, it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that this was an act of great faith. Great faith. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, said to the men, this is a pretty cool story right here, and I'm glad we have enough time for it. We have five minutes. She's like, okay, it's getting dark. She, she knew who they were. You understand what I mean? They might have been had on disguises, the little glasses and the mustache. But she's like, these are Jews. These are Jews. All their people is over there down the road, and the, the Red Sea had already parted. She knew who they were. But she's like, oh, come on in. Yeah, yeah. And then she hit them in the back, and then it, it gets dark, and no one's listening. No one's watching. She goes up on the roof, and she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She's a Christian. Amen. Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed in the promise that they would be heirs of the land. She's a Christian. Now, when did she get regenerated and have this faith? Pro- <laughs> Probably before they opened the, before the door was open. You know what I mean? At some point, she had heard the gospel and she was like, Yahweh is the winner. Yahweh is the real deal, right? And so she finally has some ambassadors from Yahweh, and she's like, I need to talk to them. They might, they might can uh, get me saved. I know the Lord's given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Right? So she believes the future is bright, and she has a positive eschatology. She believes in the promises of God, and she uh, has faith. Now, verse 10 for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. They're all very scared. They have what one preacher calls Christianophobia. And that's still a thing, by the way. Trust me. Um, I'm going to read you a little. Uh, I, we don't have enough time to get to it. But let me just read real quick verse 12. Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. And they tell her, you know, to hang the red scarlet cord on the, outfit, on the window facing Israel. And they say, and stay in the house. If you stay in the house with the blood with the red linen over the door, 
When we come through, you and who else? Your household will be saved. That's right. And that's what happens. Cool little, uh, cool little tidbit that I read. Um, the red cord was a sign of prostitution. It was the red light district. Red is a symbol of prostitution all over the world. And, and she had to take the cord from the street entrance and put it on the outside of the wall facing Israel. It's like, isn't that, there had to be clear repentance. And so the sign of prostitution has actually become over the ages a sign of Jesus' blood. Isn't that, that's just like so cool. I think that's so cool. But um, that's all we got. All right, y'all have a good evening.